into our hearts. And Lord, we just say, what a beautiful name is the name of Jesus. Powerful name. Lord, that in you we find hope, we find our peace, we find our joy, we find our contentment. And Lord, today again, as we look at what it means to be your follower, a disciple of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would again speak to our hearts, you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and ultimately, Holy Spirit, you would we would hear your voice, we would obey what you're telling us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this little mini-series called I Have Decided. And what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple, we hear that word, you know, disciple, where he called these men follow him, and ultimately, through what they accomplished, there's a calling to believers in Christ to be Jesus' followers, and we find in Scripture what he says and what it means to be his follower. We started out about the call of discipleship last week, and today we're going to look at the cost of discipleship. Because what, where we're going, why we decided to do this is discipleship is going to be a foundational part of the DNA of our church. We are moving with intentionality and purpose to not just have people say yes to Christ. We want people to say yes to Jesus, but we want to see them grow and become who God has created them to be as a follower of Jesus. Amen? That is the call of God to each one of our hearts that He commissioned His followers before He went to heaven. And uh, I'm going to show you that in a moment. That's one of our key passages here. Jesus, before He is getting His belief, he, you know, He had promised Him, He said, I'm going to rise from the dead, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and it's good that I go away, and I want you to go to, you know, this upper room on the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit will come. But He commissions His followers, ultimately He commissions us. And so he gives them this call, he gives them this commission, not a suggestion, but this is a directive and order from Christ himself. So we look at the call of discipleship and then the cost of discipleship. And we're going to look in Scripture again today, but again, the key passage um, that we're all familiar with is that Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. All authority. You're wondering who has all authority. It's Jesus. He has all authority. It's been given to him. So since, you know, in that therefore word, therefore, since he has all authority, he is giving this charge to go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples of all nations. And so this word, again, this word has gotten a little bit lost in translation through the years where people say, well, I asked Jesus into my heart, or whatever your upbringing is, and I went through confirmation, I was baptized, or what? again, whatever maybe spiritual thing that you did, we might would consider, well, I asked Jesus into my heart, therefore I am a disciple. And I would say as we look at scriptures, we're going to find out that doesn't mean that. that. That is the beginning point. And it's okay to have that beginning point. But a disciple, what is a disciple? A disciple is a lifelong, committed life to Jesus Christ to follow him. And so Jesus says, go and make disciples. Notice he doesn't say, hey, go get as many people as possible to pray this little prayer after you. He says, no, I want followers. I want those who will give their lives. Again, so he tells the followers, hey, you now, you go and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples, right? 
And so then in Scripture and the Gospels, we see what he means by that. So he says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, the baptizing part is identifying with what Jesus did, the death and resurrection of Christ. And then the verse 20 is the most important, teaching them to obey. Obey what? Everything that Jesus commanded. And where do we find that? We find that in the Word of God. So he says, make disciples, teach those disciples. And so our job is to have disciples and we're going to teach you and teach me and teach us to obey everything Jesus commanded. And then the great promise, he says, that I am with you to the very end of the age. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not doing this alone. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Spirit is with us to give us power to be able to live this out. Last week, again, we talked about the cost of discipleship. Luke 14, giving up the rights to yourself. Elevating your love for Jesus above everything and everyone, everything and everyone else. Taking up your cross daily. And then ultimately, he says, you can't be my follower unless you give up everything you own. Strong call, right? This is, and we talked about, this is not, this is not altar call 101. We would not say, this is, would we do this in personal evangelism where Jesus puts his arm around you and says, here's, here's the deal, unless you give up everything you own, you can't follow me. So he doesn't try to sugarcoat this. He says, I'm calling for your life. It will be costly, but it will be worth everything that you, that you give up. And so we're going to jump into this a little more in depth today. So we continue in the cost of the fact that more of Jesus' words again. So he left and he said, go make disciples. We look in Scripture to see what does he say about himself, us, what is he calling believers to, and ultimately it's this, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you personally believe about Jesus? Who is he to you? Not what somebody told you, not what maybe, you know, and that can be a part of it, but who is he right now to you? And some people have a very dysfunctional view of Christ and Christianity because sometimes we can see through a lens of hurt. We can see through a lens of hypocrisy where we've seen people that maybe claim Christianity and they weren't walking the walk and, and we can get hurt by that or someone was mean or cruel or whatever. We can sometimes associate Jesus through this lens that we see of hurt and pain in our hands. I think the Lord wants to begin to change the way we see who Christ is. Because ultimately, and as we looked at last week, this is an all-in decision. This is a complete and total commitment. Right? I shared this some time ago, and I actually recently shared it at youth group. But uh, some years ago, when uh, my, our, our older kids, Taylor and Tori, were about seventh grade and fourth grade, something like that, we were at my mom and dad's house. And Taylor uh, hey, is here today. We, we, we managed to bring him up and show you exactly what no, I'm sitting in. It's a uh, he actually shared this, and I don't he was preaching to some youth, uh, youth kids some time ago, and he shared this story, too. But it, it really it really is pertinent for today. But um, you guys ever do the trust fall? Anybody do that? Well, normally, you know, you just stand there, and somebody's behind you, and they say, you know, look that and, and you fall backwards, right? And so, as a dad, and as a person who is broken more bones than I can remember, because I did everything, you know, somewhat 
too crazy. I don't just do the trust fall, I do the trust fall 2.0, right? And so, we're at my mom and dad's house, they have a split four-year-old thing, and so I was putting my kids up on the stairs, maybe one more, and I was down there. And they were turning around and facing the way I was falling. And so I would sometimes, you know, let them fall really far and catch them and put them, just push them up. And, and so, they're taking turns. I mean, they're just going, going, going. And so, Taylor goes one last time, and I push him up, and I go, okay, that's it. He did not hear me say that. And I'm walking towards the kitchen, and all I hear is this thud. And as a parent, you're, you're, oh, man, you're just a sick feeling that he just not, he did not hear what I just said. I said, all right, that's enough. And I turned around, of course, you know, just, is he okay? Is he going to make it? Is the, you know, the breath is not completely out of me. It's like trying to, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm just freaking out. Fine, he was, he was fine. But I, I'm telling you, the Lord has spoken and used this story in so many different ways because he was, he was believing and trusting and going all in, right? And he was, he was saying, I trust that my dad's going to be there. I trust that he's there. And so you make this, the trust fall is... You know, and some of you guys have trust issues. You don't, you don't trust fall. You do this, you know. So I just fall back, and you're not to knock each other down. You know, so I just fall and looking back, all that kind of. He made that all-in commitment. Some people seriously have that feeling where you feel like you've been dropped, you feel like you've been hurt, you feel like, and you say, it's so hard for me to trust. To think about going all in for Christ, and I understand what He's calling, and I see it. But it's so hard for me. I think the Lord wants to encourage someone today that may have been hurting or maybe you've been somewhat dropped. And again, if not, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. It's not been Jesus. It's been something else, circumstances. I think the Lord wants to heal that to invite us again, once again, into a place of trusting Him. Because that's what is that's what He's asking us to cost to challenging us, he's encouraging us. And then the question is, will you obey him or not? And I'll let him do that inner work if you are once again trying to believe. We're going to jump into John 6 today. It'll be up on your screen. If you have a Bible, you can flip there if you like. But it'll be up on the screen for you. Um, this once again, this whole chapter, and this can be a little bit of a lengthy reading, but my prayer is, again, allow the Holy Spirit to speak your heart. What is God's saying to you today? What is He inviting you to today? And John 6 is just, one, again, one of these passages where Jesus is speaking about who He is. He's saying what who He is. He's making these proclamations of who He is. But also, He makes the proclamation of, of saying, here, since, I, since I am who I am, I'm inviting you to this place of discipleship and what that means. And so, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it'll be, it'll be a little bit of a chunk of reading here. But the beginning of John 6, we are familiar with the story. Remember that the 5,000 people have been following listening to his teaching. They're hungry, right? And this little boy brings his lunch. He says, does anybody else have any food? He takes the little boy's lunch, right? And he begins to break it, and he performs the miracle. These 5,000-plus people with one little boy's lunch, he, he is literally creating food out of what this little boy gave him. So he teaches them, and then the crowd is beginning to look for him, and they find him the next day. So we're going to pick it up in the story in verse 22, and I want you to look at this. The next day, 
crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boat and they crossed to Capernaum to look for him. So they are in a search to find him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Listen to what he says. You want to be with me because I fed you. You want to be with me because you like that miracle that I did. You want to be with me because you like the blessings. Then listen to what he says. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. What does he say to be concerned with? Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. That's what we should be spending our energy on. And a lot of times we can spend our energy on things that really don't matter in the big scope of things. For God the Father has given me the seal of His approval. They reply, we want to perform God's works too. So they're asking, it seems noble what they're saying. We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Then Jesus told them, this is the only work. Isn't this interesting? His wording. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one He has sent. Believe in me. Believe in me. This is the source of faith right here. He said, you want to do the works and don't get lost over here trying to do what, I, what I'm doing. Here's the only thing you need to, to do. Here's the only work. Believe in the one He has sent. That's the source of faith. That I believe God. I know He can do the miraculous. And we can ask for the miraculous. And we can ask for those things. But ultimately, it is we, we, we spend our energy finding eternal life. And we do this one thing. Believe in Him. And again, this word believe. Don't get lost here. The word believe is not a head knowledge belief. It is I'm completely convinced. That's where we get the word conviction. I'm uh, if I have a conviction, I am convinced of it because of who Jesus said he is. And I am convinced of it to the point where it causes me to act. That's that trust ball, right? When you are saying, Jesus, I know you're there. And I am committing, I'm going all in, and I'm going, I, I, I'm, I'm living for you, and I'm taking that step. I am convinced, I am convicted to the point where it causes me to act. That's what Jesus means by when he says believe. Believe in the one he has sent. Then listen to their response. You get what's going on here in the dialogue with Jesus. They're not that crazy about what he's saying at this point. So what do they say? Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe you. What can you do? So he's already, right, he's already begin to unmask them because he said, you, you're, you're following me because of the miracle. And now it's kind of unfolding that that's true because now they're just saying, okay, we don't like what you're telling us. Show us a, if you want us to follow you, show us a miraculous sign. Prove it. And so he cuts at their heart and he will cut at our hearts. We can't fool him, trick him. He sees it all. And then they said, you know, yeah, if you want to believe in you, 
show us miraculous signs. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. So they're talking about this miracle that happened that God fed the people in the wilderness. The scripture says Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so Jesus goes on to say that he said, it wasn't Moses that gave them bread. It was my father that gave them the bread in the desert. Then he says something, then he makes this transition because they understand what he's getting at. These are the people of Israel. He says, he, he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. That thing that happened with Moses, all of that points to me. Guys, the Old Testament, don't get lost in saying that, 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 you know, that in the Old Testament God was somehow mean and in the New Testament he gets nicer. He's always the same. He never changes. In the Old Testament, all the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. All of the Old Testament promises, everything that happens, the foreshadowing, the neon sign that says, you need Jesus, we all need Jesus, Jesus is coming. So we celebrate Advent. Today is the first day of Advent. Advent means coming, where the anticipation of His coming once again. It's saying He came once and He is coming again. And so Jesus said He was the bread of life that came out from heaven, that whoever believes in Him would never be hungry or thirsty. What he's saying is he is the one that everyone, that ultimately everyone is needing. There is a spiritual hunger, there is a spiritual thirst within all of us. Within every human being upon planet Earth, there is a spiritual hunger and thirst that can only be filled by Christ himself. We were created with that void. We were created with the hunger. And so many people, they are looking for other things to try to quench their thirst and try to feed that hunger. And they'll go from this thing to that thing. And Jesus is all along saying, I am the bread of life. I am what you are hungry for. Like he told the woman at the well, he said, I will give you water if you'll never thirst again. Not physical water, not a magic water, but he said, a spiritual water because lady, and this, remember the story of this lady, she's been married five times, she's living with a guy now, her life has been a wreck. And he says, I will give you water that you'll never thirst again. And so what he's telling the people, he says, I'm the bread of life. You're hungry, there's a hunger in every human being on planet Earth, and it can only be filled by me. And the people's response is interesting, they begin to murmur and complain, because he said he was the bread of life. It was becoming offensive to them, what he was saying. They're saying, wait, we, we know his father and his mother. He, we know that he's Joseph's son. We know that he is married. But how can he, how can he say that he came down from heaven? And so that, you know, see what he's doing? He's revealing that he is the Messiah to come. And some of them, they are murmuring, and they don't, they're, they're like, you know, we like you for your miracles, but don't start claiming this thing, Messiah or God thing. Well, here's what he was saying is, I am the miracle. You're looking for miracles? I am the miracle that came down from heaven. I am the miracle you're looking for. So let's pick up the rest of the story. Verse 43. But Jesus replies, Stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to me. And at that last day, I will raise them up. Here's the promise of eternal life. He's also saying that he's a judge here. At the last day, I will raise them up. As it's written in the scripture, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. So everything that's happened, everything the Father says has been pointing to Jesus. That's what He said. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen Him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. There's that believe word again, and He's talking about Himself. 
Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats from the bread of heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. What is he saying here? He's going to get into kind of a interesting dialogue with them. He's not talking about cannibalism, but he's talking about the sacrifice that he will make. Then the people begin arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they ask? So Jesus again said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. There's that word again. For my flesh is the true food, my blood is the true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Okay, so then Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me, but Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said to the people, can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Okay, so you understand what he's unpacking. Here's the last part of this. At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Not his initial twelve, but there were many people that had followed him up to this point, and they deserted him. Because they knew what he was saying. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Are you going to leave too? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So I know that was a lot. Thanks for sticking with me. I encourage you to meditate on this passage of what Jesus is saying of himself. He's pointing to some Old Testament things the man that came down from heaven, it said it all pointed to me. It all pointed to the sacrifice that I make. And what was happening here is he was saying, I don't know of who he was, and the mass of the crowd began to be offended by him. We don't like what you're saying. We understand what you're saying, but we don't like it. You see, Jesus will sometimes challenge us, and it will offend us, right? His word sometimes can offend us, and it's not to offend us to the point where it just makes you feel bad, but it is to convict you to say that He is the source of life. He still offends people that, you know, He makes these exclusive claims, and this is one of the most uncanny exclusive claims that He makes of Himself right here. Unless you eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, and I'm going to get into what He meant by that, unless you're consumed with me, you can't be my follower. So this is exclusive claim. That's why today when people want to believe in universalism and culture, and they say, well, there are many roads to heaven, and we just pick one. 
Well, Jesus would say, no, I am the only way to heaven. I'm the only way to the Father. I, through my sacrifice that you can have heaven eternal life. There are no other roads. I am the road. And that can be offensive to people. But Jesus said it, not us. He also, when we get offended over like what when he says this is sin, uh, you're outlined in the Word of God. That's why we're taught to obey Him. What is sin? What is not sin? We don't get to make up the rules. We don't get to say, well, this is not really sin. You know why we a lot of times say that is because I, I might be dealing with it, or we kind of categorize sin of those are the really bad things, and I'm just over here and I I just struggle a little bit here. Jesus said, I'm calling you to repent. I'm calling you to life. And always when He calls us and He challenges us, it is for our good. It is for the life that we were meant to live. It's also, He will offend us on our stewardship of our time. Is it your time or is it His time? And if we are going all in, if we understand stewardship, if we understand that He's the owner and I'm just the manager, it's all His. If you say, well, my money is all money. My resources are all money. As opposed to, no, they are His. And I will do what He wants me to do with them. Is He telling you what to do? Or are we, sometimes we get offended by that. And so you have His followers here that get offended by His teaching. So what is he saying? He's saying, if you want to be my father, if you want to be my disciple, if you want eternal life, you have to go all in. There's no other way except through him. He's the only way to salvation. He was saying that he was the fulfillment of the Passover. When we take communion and we eat you know, the cracker, the we drink the juice, and we, we do this in memorial. This is not the actual flesh and blood of Jesus. If that was your upbringing, I don't think Scripture teaches that. It's a memorial. He said, do this in remembrance of me. But the idea is that I'm going all in, that I am consumed with him. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. He's not talking about a sick, cannibalistic kind of idea. He's saying, are you all in? You Are you consumed with me? Do, am I in your life or not? That's this idea when we say, well, we when we come to salvation and we ask Jesus into our hearts and we get that, Although that those words are really not in the Bible, I think that there's a good parallel here of saying, I invite him in that he is now Lord of my life. And his Holy Spirit takes the residence, so now he is in control, not me. And I consume, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, I'm going all in. And he's saying that all the past stuff is all about me. It's always been about me. It will always be about me. The kind of the writing of sense Christianity is over. One foot in the world, one foot in the church is over. That was my story. I've shared this sometimes in the past, but I kind of straddled that fence. And I was, it's not that I hated God, but it was I really kind of loved my own life um, a little more than I loved God. And I knew what He was calling me to. And I was at this kind of tension point in my life and I kind of hit this crossroad point of my life and I can tell you it was a difficult time because I felt like I could have gone either way but I felt like there was something authentic about who the Lord was and I was one of those who got burnt in church of, you know being raised in legalism and, and kind of the angry kind of judgmentalism I, I, I dealt with a lot of that and so as a teenager again I got very cynical 
of God and Christianity and you see hypocrisy and it was just a, just a bad taste in my mouth. I was raised in a little church all the time and I saw so much that made me so troubled. So I came to this tension point in my life, but inside of me, and this is, if, you, if, if this is that your story or whatever, inside of me, let me, let me speak to that part of your heart that deep inside of me, I knew there was something authentic about Jesus. Like when I read the Gospels and I see who He is, there's something authentic and real about Him. And that's what I want. And so I kind of just felt like I just cleared the table of all the stuff. And I just said, Jesus, I need to know you for who you are. Because a lot of times when people start pushing away from Christianity, they're pushing away from the same things that Jesus pushes away from. But our tendency is we associate Jesus with some of the stuff that's not of Him, and we begin to push Him away too. And if you listen to His voice, He said, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm stiff-arming that too. That's why He rebuked the religious people of His day. He said, you are putting demands on people, and you are, you, you, you know, your, your lives are, are not lived in such a way that, that, that God is in you. You have the right words to say, and you're going through all the motions, but God isn't in you. So I fell on the authenticity of Christ to tell you why. I went all in. I, I remember the day. I remember that evening. I, I, I went all in for Jesus. And I said, it's not that I didn't have ups and downs and struggles in the journey, but I, I went all in. It's the greatest decision I ever made. But it's unconditional surrender. It's complete, total, unconditional surrender. Not holding on to an ounce of the rights to yourself. He owns it all, or he doesn't own anything. And that's the invitation. He was drawing a line in the sand with this. You're either consumed with me or, or you're not. There's no in-between. And so this is hard for the crowd and some who had become his disciples. I mean, he didn't soften it for them, right? He even turned to the 12. Are you guys going to leave too? Because now the, the, the bus is leaving if you're going to get on now. You better go. He didn't sugarcoat it for them. And then Peter said, we're all in. We may not get it. You notice Peter didn't say, we understand everything you just said. I love that. He said, we may not even understand everything you just said either, but we're all in. We know that you have the word to be alive. And so Jesus was, there's this difference between the crowd and the fully devoted followers of Jesus. And let's look at those differences here. So there's this difference in Scripture about the crowd. Remember, Last week we looked, there's a crowd following you. Here, there's a crowd following you. And so he makes this distinction of the crowd and fully devoted followers. The first one is, the crowd loved Jesus and sought him for the help he could bring to their troubled lives. Disciples hungered and followed Jesus for him. So there's nothing wrong that they would come to Christ to help us with our troubles and we need this and we have a need. And that's okay. When we have a need, we can go to Christ. Jesus loves people. He cares for us. He cares for people, what they're going through, the sorrows, the physical things. He came as a healer and He is the one who restores people back to life. 
but the disciples had grown from just following out of hunger for his miracles to following out of hunger for himself. You are the reward. We get you. And that's what he's saying in John 6, that he's saying, are you consumed with me, not what I can do for you. And they say, we want you, because you are the miracle. They begin to see that you're the miracle. If we got you and nothing else, that's okay. And I'm sure that that was the time when all these disciples died as martyrs, where they hung on that we get Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to be with Him forever in heaven. And no matter how bad the torment, no, no matter how bad the torture, He's just a glimpse away and we get to be with Him. Because He was who we were living for all along. They wanted more than what Jesus could just do for them. They wanted Him. It wasn't just a blessing, but the one who was giving the blessing. It wasn't the miracle. It was the the one who was the miracle himself that mattered to them. Next, as the crowd enjoyed listening to the teaching of Jesus, but the disciples wanted to think like Jesus, pray like Jesus, and be like Jesus. Remember the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us the relationship you have with the Father. That we, we want that. And so a lot of times the crowds would follow him and they loved to listen to what he said. And a lot of times we, we like to maybe hear things that are good or we like those kind of blessing parts of Christ when he's teaching us. And it's not bad that we meditate on that, but as the crowd wanted to listen to his teaching, the disciples said, we, we don't want to just hear you, we want to be like you. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world out there. We want to know how to pray like Jesus. We want to know how to act like Jesus. Think like Jesus in our everyday world, at work, at school. That Jesus, I want to be like you. The crowd wanted a Savior to rescue them from all their problems. Again, that's not a bad thing, that we want a Savior to rescue us. But the disciples long for a king to rule over their lives. Yes, he is a Savior, but they said, He is my Savior. He saved me. He's He's given you the gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross and that you rose from the dead. But I now want you to rule over my life. I understand this is a kingdom. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. We don't get a vote. He's a king. He rules over everything. And they understand that he's a good king. He's a loving king. He is a king that did something about my sin problem. He came down and died for me. Now, that's a king I will give my life, and now I want you to rule over me. I want you to tell me what to do. I want you to speak to my life and, and dictate my life, and I want to go all in. I want you to be the owner. I want you to be a king who rules over me. And lastly, the crowd received what they needed from Jesus, and then they went on with their lives. But the disciples gave up everything to be with Jesus and joined him in his work. A lot of times you have the crowd and they would gather around and, you know, they're on the hillside and the storm on the mountain, they fear and they just kind of go the other way. The disciples are the ones that drop their nets. He says, come follow me. And they said, we are going all in. We're dropping our nets. We're getting up from our tax collector booth. We are going all in for you and we want to follow you. And because we understand that not only this is your mission, but you are a king and you have a mission and you've invited us on mission with you. That I have a vision, I have a mission with Christ to join Him in His work. So the question is, are you a part of the crowd or are you a disciple? Let that sink in. 
Last week I, I said this to the mercy of God is to please our wants. Because sometimes we struggle with this. Uh, I love that Paul, and I've said this before, but Paul in Romans 7 gets this real struggle of saying, Sometimes I don't do the things I need to do, and then those things that I need to do, I, you know, I find myself wrestling with that, or you know, the things I shouldn't do, I find myself doing that sometimes. And he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, but who can save me from this life of sin? Thanks be to God, it's been Jesus, over and over again, that we get up and that we want to. Because here's the thing I want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower. I want to go all in. Someday I'll struggle with that. But he does love our want to. And we get up every day and we say, Lord, I want to be your follower. I'm going to be consumed with you. I want to go all in. Help me when I struggle. Help me when I make my time my own. Help me when I start ruling over my own life. Give me strength. In Matthew 19, there's a story. I won't, I'm, I'm not going to put it up there. I'm just going to tell you the story. Many of you are familiar with it. This man comes up to Jesus. We, we, we don't know this man's name. We just have a title. He is a rich young ruler of some sort. He walks up to Jesus and he understands. He, evidently, he's been listening to Jesus. Maybe he's been part of that crowd at times where he's heard what Jesus has said. And so there's something stirring in his heart. And he walks up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what good thing? And he's using that word good a lot. Good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, I, I hear what you're saying, and there's a stirring in my heart, and I want what you have, but what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, again, where Jesus, we don't fool Jesus. Jesus cuts right to the case. He said, why are you calling me good? Only, only my Father is good. But as to your question, you know the commandments. Jesus reels off a few commandments. About how to because ultimately Jesus is showing that the law is a mirror that shows us that we're not good law keepers. And, and he said, You know the commandments? And the guy says, Oh, yeah, I've kept those for my youth, which is probably not true. It's like, like you've never broken a commandment, right? It's like, Have you ever lied? Well, maybe once. Well, you, you've broken the commandments. Done. So Jesus kind of signs the commandments and says, and the, boy, and the guy, the guy says, "I've done these every time with the boy. I've kept the commandments." And so he's trying to debate with Jesus. What, what good thing? What am I missing? And Jesus goes, "Okay, you lack one thing." And I'm sure this guy's heart leaps for joy. You know, it's like one thing. I can do one thing. One thing. I got this. What is it? And Jesus says, "Go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and come follow me." Ouch. Maybe I can't do one thing. Now, what was Jesus getting at? This guy was rich. We're told that. So money was the thing that consumes his life. And so Jesus was trying to pry his fingers off of his money. And he was saying, go get rid of the thing that controls you. Go get rid of the thing that keeps me from being Lord of your life. Give up the right to it. And what happened to this man? It says that he walked away sad because he had many possessions. So his hope was in his possessions. His confidence and peace was in his possessions. And Jesus said, I'm going to cry and see his author. Interesting that he is, we don't have his name, but we have, we have that he's rich, he's a young man, but also the third one, he's a ruler. 
And I think that this is what gets to the crux of the matter for all of us. He's saying, you're a ruler, and I'm not the ruler. This is what it boils down to. You're ruling, and you're ruling. You become king of your own life. And that's why Jesus was cutting to the chase and saying, Go tell, let me rule you. Let me be the king of your life. Instead of you being on the throne, let me be the king of your life. And come follow me. And yes, it will cost you everything, but it will be so worth it. And so then Jesus says through this story to us, are you the ruler of your life? What do you hold on to? What are you holding out? What things will you not give them? What things are you having a hard time to trust them with? Maybe again, it's been, you've been hurt or whatever, and you have a hard time going in. Today, he is saying, I want your life. Because here's the beautiful thing of this story. Jesus says that he saw this man had compassion on him. Jesus wasn't bludgeoning him, you know, upside the head and saying, you know, you're, you're a filthy, rotten, good-for-nothing. So he said, he said, hey, I can talk to you. He wanted him to come follow me. He's given him the same words as the other disciples. Come follow me. I want to give you the life that you were meant to live, but you have got to let me rule instead of you rule. I'm calling you all in. And this guy walked away sad. And Jesus felt compassion on him. What is the thing that you have the hardest time giving up? What are maybe a couple things that you are ruling, that your time, that your resources, that your rights to yourself? And ultimately, here's that guy's response. Just like the crowd in John 6, he was offended. He was hurt. He was offended by what Jesus was saying, and he walked away. Just like the crowd in John 6, they walked away. They were offended. So my encouragement, my challenge, I think that what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to each of our hearts is that we offended. Don't be offended by the words of Christ to say, go all in. I want to rule everything. This is what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, a disciple. It's not just that you compartmentalize your life with Christ. It's every day I get up, I want to follow you, I want to be like you, I want to understand you, I want to know you, and I want to make you known to the world. I want to be on this journey. Don't be offended. By him. Don't walk away. Come to him in a new way. What is he teaching to you today? What is he putting his hand on today? We have to do it every day. And again, the cost is great. I won't diminish the cost. That's what Jesus said. It'll cost you everything, but it'll be so worth it anything. Can you imagine? And here's why the cost for us is so minimal on this side, even if it feels great. If you can't imagine, and we can only imagine at this point, when you see him face to face, when you step up at the judgment seat of Christ as a believer, and he looks at you, and he says, well done, and he embraces you. Can you imagine that? That's the reality of Scripture. That everything, we will say, oh my goodness, the cost is nothing. What at that moment? He'll say, the Bible says, he'll wipe every tear from our eyes because sometimes we think we're, we're going to have regrets on the earth. And we're at that moment, all the cost, whatever we were holding on to, whatever right we were, we were going to say, oh my goodness, that was nothing compared to you. That's why Paul says these momentary, even afflictions. Paul says they're light and momentary, even if we're afflicted, sick, whatever. 
afflictions that we might face. That there's, he said, there's nothing compared to the glory in which we will see when we are with Him on that day. That's the promise. That's the hope. That's why, yes, it's the cost. But it will be so worth it when we see Him. We stand with Him. So, Lord, today we want to allow Your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to challenge us, to encourage us, Lord. And I pray for each person here, Lord, whatever you are saying to them, God, that they would, Lord, really, really meditate on what the things that you're speaking. Lord, really meditate on what you're saying to them in their walk with you. And I pray, God, that they would obey what you're saying. That we would walk in obedience, God, that we would not just hear and then walk away and forget. We'd say, Lord, what are you saying to me? And what are you asking of me? Because I want to follow you with all my heart. I want to go all in. I want to be consumed with you. I want to know you in greater and greater ways. Lord, I pray that for each one of us that every day we would wake up and say, God, help me.